Joel Marshall's my name, and I'm going to be reading the Bible for you today. And we're reading from Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be reading verses 24 to 43. That's Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go up and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may pull up, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring, in, bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what the prophet... Sorry... So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the burning furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears to hear, let sorry, whoever has ears, let them hear. Welcome, my name's Thomas. Uh, I normally go to the 4 p.m. service, so you might not know me or have seen me very often. But before we start the sermon, uh, let's pray. You're in for the long haul. I've just heard from um, Peter and Anne how church service should go for about three or four hours. So after we said that, I've been busy adding in some extra bits so that we can... Sorry? Five hours. Five hours. You want to be a record? No, I'll try and stick... I'll try and make it short. Shorter than that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just pray that as we come to your word this morning and look at this parable uh, about these two plants growing together, what that means for us today. I just pray, Father, that you'd be with me. Help me, Lord, to faithfully expound your word. I pray that you'd help us too. Uh, to apply what we've 
here today. Help us to understand what you're saying through this parable. I pray that you'd help us to this parable to either encourage us or warn us, depending on where we are spiritually with you. And I pray that you'd help us to use this parable to help us to live for you better. Uh, we ask for these things in your name. Amen. So a couple of months ago, we looked at another parable in Matthew 13. Does anyone remember what that is? It's always encouraging from the preacher when somebody remembers. <laughs> Just one of you would be enough. Sorry? Parable of the sower. Thank you. So the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. And the parable of the sower, is this thing working? Yep. The parable of the sower is about different people's responses to the news of God's kingdom. So just scroll through. We should be on the next one by now. That's it. Uh, some reject the kingdom outright. Uh, others accept the news that they hear for a time and then they throw it away. While others understand the message that they hear, they get it, they're saved and they bear fruit. So in Matthew chapter 13, after the parable of the sower, there are some more parables and we're going to have a look at just one of them today. I know we heard a few read out but we'll just be mainly looking at the one uh, that took up most of the space. And what is interesting is that in each of these parables, in pretty much, they all start in pretty much the same way. Just scroll it through to a few more and we'll get to the right slide. Another one, another one. Yep, so there we are. So if we have a look at all the parables that start after the parable of the sower, they all start the same way. So for example, in Matthew, uh, in verse 24, it says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. So what that tells us is that each of these parables is explaining to us something about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Have any of you ever wondered what the kingdom of heaven is like? Well, these parables tell us what it's like. And Jesus first mentions the kingdom of heaven back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where it says... From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what does it mean that the kingdom of heaven has come near? Now that was about 2,000 years ago, and so we should ask the question, well, has it arrived yet? Or is this kingdom of heaven still just near and not quite here yet? Or is it distant and still a long way off? And because it's a good question to ask, because we need to really think about what does the kingdom of heaven mean? Now, just a little bit of a note. In Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew was probably written primarily for an audience of Jews. And so Matthew often uses the word heaven in place of the word God because the Jews often didn't like to say the name God in case they said his name the wrong way by mistake. So the kingdom of heaven really means it's the same thing as meaning the kingdom of God. But when we use the word kingdom, what does it mean? It's not a word that we often use today. In fact, in Australia, we actually live in a kingdom. Do you realise it's not a queendom anymore? For the last few weeks, we have been living in a kingdom. We have a king. Does anyone know his name? Have you learned to say it yet? Charles the... The third, King Charles, King, see I'm still trying to get used to it, King Charles the third. Australia is a kingdom. 
But even though we live in a kingdom and we have a king, King Charles is mainly a ceremonial figurehead. King Charles III does not really have much authority in my life or your life. How much say does he actually have a say in what you do each day? Like about, yeah, just about nothing. However, there was another King Charles way back a few hundred years ago, King Charles I, and he was in the 17th century. And King Charles I actually had a lot more power and authority, maybe not quite the fancy clothes, but he had a lot more power and authority than King Charles III. He had real power and authority over Britain at that time. Oh, and it's that sort of king, and it's that sort of kingdom with real power and authority of people's lives which is meant here in our passage. And that's important for us to realise because often when we think of king or queen or monarchy, we have the idea of what it is today, of some sort of distant remote figure that doesn't have much control. But back in the time that Jesus was talking about, the king was like the government of the day. So it did have real power and authority. So the kingdom of heaven means the rule of heaven or the rule of God. God is the boss. That is where God is the king. He is the Lord. He is the ruler. He is the master. He's the boss. God is in charge. Now a good question to ask is, is God the ruler now? Is he in charge now? What do you think? Who thinks he is? Who thinks he's not? It's still coming in the future. Who's not sure? No, honest. Who thinks maybe a bit of both? Have I confused you all? Who is in charge of this planet? Who's in charge of this universe? Who's in charge of Australia? Who's in charge of Tasmania? Is it God? Or is it someone else? In Matthew 4.17, it says that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in chapter 12, there were Pharisees, people called Pharisees, who strongly opposed Jesus. And we see in Matthew 12, verse 28, coming up on the screen, Jesus said, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, Jesus is also saying that the kingdom of God is not just near, but it has come. But a good question to ask is, if God's kingdom, God's rule has come, if God's in charge, then why do some people, such as Pharisees back in Jesus' day, why do some people, many people, oppose Jesus and get away with it? For us today, why do people still oppose God when they don't recognise his rule, when they disobey him, when they live and promote living the wrong way and we see plenty of that today, how can they get away with it? Why doesn't God do something about it? Honestly, who runs our country and our state? After church, after you, the service is finished and you've had your cup of coffee or whatever you drink, when you leave and go out to your car in the car park, have a quick look at the number plate on your car and see what it says. Mine says something like that, Tasmania, and then some silly slogan depending on when your car was registered, explore the possibilities or the natural state or something like that. But the important thing is it says Tasmania on that. What does that mean? It means because if you want to register your car, 
you need to get permission, not from God, but from Tasmania, the government of Tasmania. We live under the rules of Tasmania or Australia, depending on which rule it is. We have the Tasmanian police. We have the Tasmanian and Australian laws. I came back into the country a, couple, a, a week or two ago from holidays and I had to go through uh, immigration that was the Australian immigration to say that I could come into my own country. Our number plates, our driver's licences, they do not say the kingdom of God on them. They have the name of the country or the state whose laws you must drive under and there's an assortment of number plates from around the world, all the different places that run different parts of the world. We have different various governments, we have various rulers in charge and those rulers do not always follow God. In fact, most of the time they do not follow God. And sometimes they even enact laws contrary to God's laws and sometimes they make us or try to make us do things that are actually against God's laws. So if that's the case, coming back to our first question, how can it be that God is actually in charge? And this parable today will help to explain why this is the case. Now, this is in your Bibles called the parable of the weeds, but I'm actually calling it today the parable of the darnel, and we'll see why. Who's ever heard of the word darnel? Yes, people who in my growth group have heard it. <laughs> the growth group that I'm in. So, the parable of the darnel. In verses 24 to 30, we have the parable itself, and in verses 36 to 43, we have the explanation. But let's read the parable first. Verses 24 to 30... Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you might uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, this is an agricultural parable, as are some of the other parables in this chapter. It's an illustration of growing wheat. Now, the problem with growing wheat is keeping the wheat pure. That is, you want your wheat field to only have wheat in it and not other things growing in it that contaminate the crop. And this parable is about an enemy who sowed weeds. But these are not ordinary weeds. And this parable can be confusing to us because when we think of that, we think, if you see weeds growing in your garden, do you wait until the weeds are all grown until you pull them out? You grow them out, pull them out when they're small, don't you? Damaris, you just wait, but that's not because you're... That's just because you don't want to do other things, isn't it, than weed the garden? <laughs> so these are not ordinary weeds... The Greek word here for weeds is a really cool word. I don't normally put up the Greek word, but I thought this is just such a cool word. Can everyone say zizania? Doesn't that just sound so cool? Zizania. 
I love all those Zs together, but actually it's not a very cool plant at all. Because this is the Greek word for the English word darnel. And you probably don't know that word unless you're a wheat farmer. Any wheat farmers? Now, if we were in um, the wheat belt of Western Australia or somewhere, everyone would probably know what um, darnel is. But in Tasmania, it's not very well known. Otherwise known as false wheat. And it actually means something a bit more specific than the word weed. It's a very particular type of weed. This type of plant is a specific type of plant. English word, as I've said, is not well known. Darnel, it's a type of ryegrass, if that means anything to you. And it's a particularly problematic weed. And the reason why it is a particularly problematic weed is because its life cycle is very similar to wheat. It grows at the same time of year. And worst of all, in its early life, in fact, until it's almost mature, it looks just like wheat. Just like wheat. And while it's sprouting, it is very difficult to tell the difference. Some varieties of it are a bit shorter, which means you also don't notice them because they're lower than the rest of the wheat or the, or the wheat. It's only when it gets older that you can tell the difference between them. Up until that time when you can tell the difference, only an expert who is looking really, really hard can tell the difference. And so that's why sometimes it is called false wheat. So maybe if you think Darnold's too hard to remember, you can think that this is false wheat. Looks like wheat, but it's not wheat. And it's not till it's mature and the ears form that you, the, the, the difference is obvious between them. Wheat is heavier, the ears of the wheat are heavier, so that means, as you can see in that picture, they tend to droop, whereas the darnel is lighter, and so that's the higher crop, it tends to stand up straight. But you see, by the time that happens, it's too late. By the time you realise that there's darnel in your paddock, false wheat in your paddock, there's another problem, because the roots of the darnel, when they grow, they intertwine. And that means if you try and rip out the darnel, you'll also rip out the wheat. You could weed the darnel out safely when it's young, before the roots have intertwined, but the problem is that when it's young, you don't realise that it is darnel or false wheat, because it looks just like the real wheat. By the time you realise it's darnel, it's too late to safely pull it up, because if you do, you'll rip out the real wheat too. Now, the other problem with this darnel, this false wheat, is just like wheat, darnel also produces grain. You can harvest it just like you can with wheat. However, the grain from darnel, the problem with it is it is poisonous. It's poisonous both to humans and to livestock. So if a wheat crop has darnel mixed in with it, it's a real problem when you harvest it because you must separate the darnel out when harvesting. It's not too hard to separate it out because it's different. But if you don't separate it out, you'll get poisonous grain and then you'll get poisonous bread. Who'd like to put bread on, you know, butter on their bread and then find out, oh, it's got darnel in it. So you want to make sure that it's out before you do anything with it. Darnel was a big problem back in New Testament times. And in fact, it still is. For example, in the Canadian prairies, Persian darnel was introduced by accident about 100 years ago from the Middle East. Now, a crop with light infestation 
reduces yields by 20 to 30%. That's just with a light um, infestation. If there's a thick infestation of darnel into the crop, that means the crop is worthless. It's useless. It has to be destroyed. And the main advice that they give to wheat growers there in the prairies of Canada is prevention. Prevention. Once it's in, it's too late. That means that you need to have clean seeds. When you're sowing, you need to make sure it's only wheat seeds that you're sowing and not darnel seeds as well. It needs to be clean. You need to make sure the equipment that you plough with, that you sow the seeds with, is clean, that it doesn't have any darnel left over from a previous crop. Because if it does get in, it is difficult to identify and eradicate. So if we go back to the parable, we can now see what the real problem is. In verse 24, the sower was careful. The sower did sow clean wheat. It was good seed. It was pure wheat seed that was free of darnel seeds. But the problem is, in verse 25, when no one was looking, an enemy came and sowed darnel in amongst the crop. In verse 26, we see that the darnel went unnoticed until the grain started to appear. And so when it says in verse 26, when the weeds also appeared, what it means by appeared there is it means when they became visible or obvious. They were there before, but now they appeared. Now they became known that it was there. So in verse 27, we find that the servants are confused. They're confused because they know that their master only planted good, clean seeds. So where on earth did this darnel come from? In verse 28, the master explains. It came from an enemy, not the man who owned the land, but from someone else, an enemy who sowed the darnel, the false wheat. So then the servants suggest weeding it out. But in verse 29, he tells them, it's too late to weed out the darnel. The roots of the darnel and the wheat are now intertwined. So uprooting the darnel will now uproot the wheat as well. So in verse 30, he tells them, the separation must now wait. It needs to wait until the harvest. And it's very important to separate them at harvest. They must be separated because darnel grain is poisonous. The only thing that darnel is useful for is for fuel for a fire, for burning. So now, let's jump over those two other parables. I know you'd like to hear about the mustard seed and the leaven, but we'll jump over them. We're just focusing on one parable today. Let's jump forward now to verse 36 to have a look at the interpretation of this parable. In verse 36, it says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Or, if we want to translate that a bit more accurately, explain to us the parable of the false wheat or the darnel in the field. Now Jesus is now talking to a smaller group of his disciples. He gave the parable to a large group, but now he's giving the explanation to a smaller group. These are the people who we saw last time as well, who have shown that they are already open to his message. And Jesus gives more information to them and explains the parable. In verse 37, it says, He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. In other words, it's Jesus himself. And then in verses 38 to 39, 
He says, The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Okay, so we see here that it is Jesus who sows the seed. He sowed the good seed. He sowed the good seed into this world that we live in. The good seed is the people of the kingdom. That is, of God's kingdom. That is, Christians. Real Christians who've been born again by the Spirit of God and who are following Him. And the weeds, the darnel, the false wheat, are those people who do not follow Jesus. They are the people who belong to the evil one, to the devil. Now, in the few chapters of Matthew before this one, we see, and we talked about this last time I spoke, that a line in the sand has been developing between people. People on one side who have shown that they are either for Jesus or on the other side that they are against Jesus. And we see the same thing in this parable today. So, when is this harvest that we're waiting for, for the separation? It is when? Sorry? The end of the age. That's right. Could be tomorrow, it could be in a thousand years' time. It is the end of the age, this age, when Jesus returns. So it hasn't come yet. And what happens at the end of the age? We read in verses 40 to 43. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, so the point of the parable is this. Do you remember the question before we had about the kingdom of heaven? Has it come yet? Who's in charge? If God's in charge, then why are people opposed to God? Why are they allowed to continue? Why is evil so apparent? The answer is, is because God did sow good seed, but the devil has sown bad seed, darnel seed, false wheat seed. And the problem is, is that they look the same. If you walk down the street, go into town, walk down the Brisbane Street Mall or the shopping centre or somewhere, if you have a look at the people, you can't tell by looking at them normally, unless they've got some great big tattoo saying otherwise on them, but normally, you can't tell who's a Christian and who isn't. This crowd of people up on the screen, can anyone point out to me the Christians and the non-Christians? Sorry? Yeah, they're Dutch. They must all be Christians, right? <laughs> you can read the signs on the platform signs. Yes. What do they say, Trudy? <laughs> this one's a Christian, this one no. But you can't tell. Even, even in the Netherlands, some people are Christians and some aren't. Isn't that right? I know most of them are, but, but you can't tell. Can anyone tell me, apart from the fact that these people are Dutch, can you tell me who is a Christian and who's not a Christian? Sorry? You can't tell. You can't tell. Most people look similar 
whether they're Christians or not. In this crowd, in this photo, there's no way you can pick out the Christians from the non-Christians. You can't tell unless, unless there is an occasion to see the fruit in their lives. So why doesn't God just get rid of all the people who do not accept him as king? Well, if God got rid of all evil now, if he got rid of the people who are opposed to him, it would also uproot the good people too. God destroys the world today, we're gone, as well as the people who don't follow God. That's why today we have a mixture of people in this world. Some who are good seed, following Jesus. Others who are darnel, false wheat, who are opposed to Jesus. But there will be a time in the future, the final harvest, when there will be a separation. In verses 41 to 42, it says, Adarnal, all who, all who cause sin and do evil, they will be thrown into the blazing furnace of hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm due to go to the dentist this week for a root canal, so I'm really thinking about that gnashing of teeth one. Can anyone empathise with me? Anyway, but in contrast to them in verse 43, we have the righteous who are now a pure crop, not mixed with darnel, and they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So what do we learn from the sermon today? And from, more importantly, not from really from the sermon, but from the passage the take-home points for us today, and they should be coming up on the screen, is firstly, understand why the reign of God is not apparent now and why evil flourishes along with the good. Yeah, sure, I mean, it's not that big a deal that your number plate has Tasmania on it, but what is a big deal is that we have a government that doesn't always follow God's laws and sometimes even pushes us to go against God's laws. And in some countries, that's even worse. Where if you follow God's laws, you can end up in a lot of trouble. But understand why the reign of God's not apparent now, while evil flourishes along with the good, but understand that this situation will not last forever. There will be a harvest, and the false sweet, those against God, will be rooted out at that time. And secondly, realise that this is an encouragement for the good seed that bear good fruit. But it's also a warning for the bad seed. If you are opposed to Jesus, and there may be some here today who are, if you are not living God's way, a judgment is coming. Perhaps you can think you can get away with living a life that's not pleasing to God because he hasn't uprooted you yet. But one day... That judgment, that harvest is coming. There will be a separation. And what seat of wheat will you be? Are you the real wheat or the false wheat? If you aren't sure or know that you're the false wheat or the darnel, do something about it. I mean, all parables and metaphors and breakdown at some point, because of course in real life, false wheat can't turn into real wheat. But uh, as people... People who do not follow Jesus can repent, can turn, can change their ways and follow Jesus and become the true wheat. And I urge you, if you're not following Jesus, turn to Jesus and follow him. Now, just as a little aside, uh, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, but some people will say that this parable explains 
the church rather than the world. And why in the church we have some people who are true believers and some who are not. And that we should accept that in the church there are all sorts of people and we should not do church discipline or require of church people a certain ethical behaviour. Because in this parable, the field is the church and the good and the bad will grow together until the end of the age and only then will they be separated. But if we have a look at what Jesus says, that's not what Jesus says the parable is about. Jesus says in verse 38, very clear, that the field is the world, not the church. I mean, it includes the church because the church is in the world, but it includes the whole world. This parable is really talking about society at large, people everywhere. And elsewhere in the Bible, even here in Matthew, later on in Matthew, for instance, in chapter 18, it says we need to try and keep the church as pure as we can. Obviously, we can't do it perfectly, but we do need to discipline in the case of obvious sin. In this parable, the field is not the church, but the world. And this parable explains how good wheat and false wheat exist side by side in the world. And so from this parable of the weeds, or, or more accurately, this parable of the darnel, of the false wheat, it is quite clear that evil and people opposed to God will be with us until the end of the age, until Jesus returns. Sometimes as, sometimes as Christians, we have this desire to somehow make the world pure. They have a Christian government that will make sure everyone does the right thing and follow Christian laws. And while those intentions are noble, Jesus is quite clear that that's not going to happen until he returns. And while we wait for Jesus to return, both the good wheat as well as the false wheat grow together. In the 20th century, and also even in just these first short years, 22 years of the, of the 21st century, we have seen some of the greatest church growth in all history. It might not be an apparent in Australia, where the church does not seem to really be growing much, if at all, but in other parts of the world, the church is growing at a tremendous rate of knots, which is incredibly encouraging. The church is growing and getting into parts of the world where it's never been before. But also in that same period of time, we have seen some of the worst world wars and destruction in history as well. We've seen World War II, Rwanda, for those of you old enough like me, you might remember that, but you don't have to be old to remember conflicts. What's going on right now? Terrible war in Ukraine. And it's not the only war, that's the one that just gets on the news. There are other wars going on too, such as in Ethiopia and other parts of the world, Syria, that continues to go on. We see both the growth of both good and evil, and we will see that for the rest of the 21st century as well, should the Lord tarry. So this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. It's about the kingdom of God. It's here mainly as an encouragement for believers to help us to understand why it is that God is actually in charge when it does not always seem that way. It's how the kingdom of God can be near and even here in some measure and yet, evil is still so visible and active. And the reason is, it's because the weeds, the darn or the false wheat, they grow along with the wheat. 
And while they are allowed, God allows them to grow for the time being, one day they will be harvested, they will be burnt, and the good wheat, the people who follow Jesus, will then shine like the sun in God's kingdom. But even while that darnel, that false wheat, that evil, even while, even while evil is growing, so too is God's kingdom. And that's what the parable of the mustard seed is about. God's kingdom is growing as more and more people hear the good news and recognize the rule of God in their life. That is, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, He's Master. Not king like King Charles III, but a real king who really controls our lives. He is master. He is the boss of our life. And so the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is also growing. So if you are a believer, be encouraged. And if you are not a believer, be warned. But be aware that you too can become good wheat by repenting of your sins. That means turning away from doing things that are against God from living life your own way, doing what you think is right, and turning to what God says is right, and calling out to Jesus and trusting in Jesus who died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, for the things that you've done wrong, and rising again from the dead so that you too can share in the future in the resurrection from the dead and have eternal life. I encourage you, whichever side you're on, be encouraged or turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just pray that as we've heard this sermon this morning, read this passage, that you would help us to see and understand why it is that good and evil both exist and both grow in this world at the same time. I pray that you'd help us to understand that you really are still in control, but you are allowing this time and season for a reason. I pray also that you'd help us to use this time to warn those people who do not follow you, to turn and to follow you. And I pray that if there are any here today who are not following you, that you would work in their hearts and so that they would turn to you in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and follow you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.